All right, so Make a Match Challenge is all about there being a chance. There was a chance that you could win a prize. And that's why you came tonight, because you said, you know what? There's a chance. Maybe a friend invited you. He said, hey, come tonight, because this place called 4640, and if you, if you come tonight, there is a chance we could win some sweet prizes. Now, I don't know, like the whole game is maybe we win, maybe you won't. Maybe you won tonight, congratulations. Maybe you didn't. If you didn't, sorry about it. Uh, but the game was all about chance. The chance was if they picked your name out of the bucket and called your ticket, there was a chance that that could happen. There was a chance that if your name got called out of that bucket, that you could find a match on the board. And there was a chance that if you did that, then you could win a prize. So the whole thing was just chance. Now, at some point, you understood this, and you said, you know what? It's worth it. It's worth coming tonight because of the chance, now of, of winning a prize. You knew that it was just a chance, but you said, it's worth it. So now I'm going to ask you the question, what, how much, like, what could I, how much could you have done? You decided, all I have to do is show up tonight, and I have a chance of winning. Now, what if I made it a little bit harder to come tonight, and if you came tonight, then you, and you had to do one more little thing, and then you could still have the same chance of winning, would you do it? Now, let's make it a little harder. Let's say, okay, you could come tonight, but also, if at some point during the night, you had to stand up and introduce yourself to the whole crowd. And if you would do that, then you could win the prize, all right? How many of you would still go like, it's worth it, I would come if I had to raise my hand, all right? Oh, thank you, you would? Please stand up and let, these are, just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, right? You said you wouldn't do it. You said you wouldn't do it, all right? Now, I, I, I would, I, like, I would be, I wouldn't mind that. I'd be like, it's fine. I'll stand up here and say who I am. That's fine. I, but just still for the chance to win. Let's make it a little bit harder. What if instead uh, you had to do that still, but also you had to walk here tonight in the lovely Colorado spring weather we're having, all right? And you had to walk here. And then you had to also at some point stand up, raise your hand and say, introduce yourself to the whole room. Would it still be worth it just to have the chance of winning? Maybe not. Now let's make it even harder, okay? Now you have to remove your shoes. You have to walk barefoot, okay, all the way here. Now also you have to listen to the worst music ever the whole time. By worst music, I mean country music, okay? You have to listen to country No, okay. And you have to carry a 50-pound backpack the whole way, which is probably what your backpack weighs every day at school anyway with all the books they make you carry. But you had to do that in the snow, walking barefoot. You had to get here. At some point, they were going to make, make it awkward and they make you like introduce yourself to the whole room. At some point, you're going to say, man, just for a chance to win a prize? That's not worth it. That is not worth it at all. It's, I don't want to do that. Now, we go at some point, it ain't worth it. And that's fair. That's fair just to have a chance at winning. But there was someone who endured so much more than that. So much more than even the things I was describing that you didn't actually have to do in order to win a prize. And his name was Jesus. And what he went through was far worse than anything we're going to have to do tonight anything that we've ever had to do or probably ever will have to do. And you may have heard that Jesus died on a cross. You might have heard that story at some point and you might go, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like he, he had to do, do some bad stuff. But oftentimes when we hear about this story 
Or, or you, you think about it, it's just like, oh, it was just this quick, like, he, he died, and that, that's sad, but it's okay. Or we kind of like sprinkle a little like fairy tale dust on it. We make it sound pretty. We make it sound like poetic. It's always in a song. And so, well, if it's in a song, then it can't be that bad. And we kind of make it a little bit more PG. We make it safe for the kids when we start talking about it. But tonight, I don't think I'm going to do that. Because I don't think you're kids, and you watch way worse stuff on Netflix that's not PG. Let me tell you that. I'm going to tell you what Jesus went through tonight, all for the chance to win a prize. And it's going to get real. And my, some of my, what I'm telling you is going to be a little bit graphic. But I want you to know what this guy Jesus went through in his last 24 hours. It starts on this mountain called Gethsemane. I don't have a list, but that's how you say it. It says in Mark 14, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. He says, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, but I want your will to be done, not mine. And then in Luke twenty-two forty-four, it says, he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Now, sweating blood is actually a medical diagnosis, okay? And the name for sweating blood is called hematidrosis. And what happens is you are under such great stress in your body that the capillaries, the small little veins that are in your sweat glands begin to burst. And when the small little sweat glands uh, or capillaries in your sweat glands begin to burst, the blood comes out and it begins to mix with your sweat and you begin to sweat blood. Now, the reason that you get hematidrosis is because your body is under such great stress. There's such acute fear going on in your body that your body can't handle it. Symptoms of hematidrosis is shock. Your body will just go straight up into shock. You will go under, uh, you'll have weakness. Your body is, you're just, your body's starting to shut down on you. Another symptom of this is called your, your skin becomes extremely tender and fragile. So Jesus is so distressed about what is going to happen that his blood vessels in his sweat glands begin to burst and he begins to sweat blood. He's dreading agonizing what is about to happen to him. And he knows what's going to happen to him. Jesus knows because he was God and he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he was fully God and he was fully man. So not only did he know what was going to happen to him, as a man, he could feel and understood what exactly it was going to feel like and what he was about to experience. And he didn't want to do it. And you can tell he was under such great stress because he literally started sweating blood. Now we're gonna get through the next part of the story pretty quick. So what happens next is one of Jesus's friends named Judas, who was one of his followers and his disciples, begins to, uh, comes up and decides he's gonna betray him. So he comes up with this mob and some guards and he betrays Jesus and Jesus is now arrested. So they bring Jesus to this kind of high council and they begin accusing Jesus of all these fake crimes going, oh, you, you can, he did this and he did this and none of it was true, but they asked Jesus this question. They basically asked this question of, are you God? 
And Jesus can't lie, he's Jesus. And so he goes, yes, I am God. Well, in Jewish law, that's called blasphemy if it's not true. But for Jesus, it was true, but they didn't care. They, they assumed that he had just, so they freak out and they begin to beat him. And it says in Mark, Mark 14, they then, uh, 65, they then spat on his face and blindfolded him. Others struck him over and over with their fists and taunted him by saying, prophesy to us, tell us which one of us is about to hit you next. And the guards then took him and beat him. Now, we just start, started talking about how Jesus is sweating blood, which means he has extremely fragile and tender skin. And now he has a mob punching him over and over and over again. And then he goes, he gets pulled from this mob by these guards and these guards begin to punch him and kick him and beat him. And every strike is made exponentially more painful because of what he's already gone through. Every strike has the potential to break open and cut him because of what he's already experienced with the, the hematidrosis. So just a punch could split open his skin and every strike feels that much more painful. So in the morning, having been beaten by the mob and the guards probably all night, they take him to this guy named Pilate, who is the governor of this area. And he is trying to figure out what's going on, but he can tell. But basically, the main thing he can tell is this mob wants this guy dead. But he doesn't understand what Jesus did because Jesus didn't do anything wrong. And so he said to basically to try and satisfy this mob, he orders Jesus to be whipped. It says in John 19.1, then Pilate ordered Jesus to be brutally beaten with a whip of leather straps embedded with metal. These floggings, is what they were called, were awful. Now, the Jewish law stated that you could only be whipped 39 times because they believed that at number 40, you would probably die. The problem is that was Jewish law, but it wasn't the Jewish people who were doing the whippings. It was the Romans. And the Romans weren't good counters. And they would lose count all of the time. And so we don't know how many times Jesus was whipped and flogged in this moment. But the Romans used two different tools for these beatings, these floggings. The first one was called a cat of nine tails. Now it's kind of hard to see, but this is kind of what a cat of nine tails look like. And if you look, there's actually shards of glass and sharp stones in, woven into this. This had one purpose. One purpose was to remove as much flesh as it could. They would strap the person to a, a thing where they couldn't move and they would throw this, whip it across their back. Each one of these things would sink into their skin and then they would rip it out. And it was on their back, it was on their sides, it would be on their heads, it would be on the backs of their legs. They would turn them around and they would do it on their stomachs as well as their chest. And they would continue to throw this and embed it into their skin and rip out as much flesh as they could. The other tool they used was called a flagrum. Now this was, it didn't have any sharp metal in it, but what it did have was it had lead balls in, woven into each end of these straps. Now, if you've ever watched a boxing match or seen Rocky or anything like that, you understand like at, at some point people are bleeding, like they have cuts in their, in their heads. It's because the boxing glove continues to hit the same spot. And at some point, the skin can't handle the impact anymore. And so the skin just begins to split. This is what the flagrum was designed to do. It was designed to strike the back or the sides or the stomach so many times and impact again and again to at some point, the skin would begin to swell and it would have no choice but to just tear open upon impact. 
So Jesus was whipped 39 times. He was whipped and he, with cat of nine tails or flagrum or both at least 39 times, if not more. And by the time he's done, his back is just ribbons of bloody flesh because he can't take it anymore. The, the, the centurions, they don't necessarily count to 39. It's just at when they think if they, he can't take anymore, when they think he's gonna die if he does anything else, they decide now we're gonna call it. So they decide he's done. And now he, they take him back to Pilate and you're going, surely he's done. He's been beaten, he's been flogged, he's unrecognizable at this point. There's so much blood loss. His skin is completely torn open all over his body. Enough is enough, but the mob says more. They shout, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate doesn't care about Jesus and he has no choice. So what he, what he does is he decides, fine, I'm, gonna, I'm washing my hands of this guy. I don't know what he's done, but I'm not about to have a riot and a rebellion on my hands. You guys want this guy dead? Let's go ahead and kill him. So he orders him to be crucified, which means you get hung on a cross. Now, when we picture a cross, we picture this really nice, like pretty thing. We think it's like, it's well sanded and it's squared off. That's not the kind of cross they used back in the day. It was rigid. It had all, it was rough. The timber was rough cut. There was all sorts of splinters and jagged edges all, sort, all uh, over the area. And so they placed this jagged, rough piece of timber upon Jesus' back. And they say, carry it a half mile up the hill to where we're going to crucify you. They place this rough, heavy timber upon his back and they begin to carry it up the same. He's feeling the timber digging into his back, which has covered in open wounds. And at some point he can't take it anymore. He's lost so much blood. He, he's, been, he's exhausted to the, to the point where he just collapses under the weight of this thing. They actually have to bring a person from the crowd to carry his cross up the rest of the way because he can't handle it anymore. And he has to walk himself up there. So they get to the top of this hill and it was called Golgotha, which is place of the skull. And they lay the cross down. And what they do is they lay Jesus upon this cross. And the guard then takes a nail. And I'm not talking about like a nail that we see. I'm talking about something like this. Just a stake, pretty much. And they find a spot right here under his wrist between these two bones because that's a spot that's gonna be able to hold. And they find it and they stick the nail there and they pull out his arm to the outside and they nail the stake into this wrist. Then they go ahead and go and do the other one. And they give him just a little bit of slack. They don't pull it tight. They give him just a little bit of slack. And I'm going to explain why in just a minute. Then they grab his feet and they lay them one over the top and they place it like this. And then they grab the other stake and they put it on top of this foot and they drive the stake through both arches of his feet into the wood of the cross. Then they raise up the cross. Now, the cross's purpose, when someone hadn't gone through what Jesus had already gone through, was to suffocate. The point was that at some point you couldn't breathe anymore because your hands would get tired 
And you, what would happen is your, nail, your, your feet are in nails, and so you would try and pick up your feet like this because you could, you could breathe better like this, but then your, na- your feet are nailed to a piece of wood, and the pain of that was excruciating. So you would give up there, and all of a sudden, then the excruciating pain of the, the, the metatarsals in your wrist would start to happen, and so then you'd have pain in here. So now we have Jesus sitting on this cross. His back is absolutely shredded. Not in a good way like at the gym, right? But he's sitting there. And what he has to do is he has to try and push and drag his back across that rough limb t- uh, timber in order to just be able to breathe up here. But while he's up here, he feels the bones in his feet. He feels all the nerves firing from the nail that is driven through his feet. And so then he has to let go and he has to drop. Well, now all of these things, the nerves in his wrist start shooting pain up in here. And now he's going, he can't do anything else. And there's pain this way. Now, at some point, his body is to the point of full exhaustion. So what does he do? Well, what he does is he goes, his body begins to cramp. His muscles start to just give out on him. He can't do it anymore. He can't drag his back across that timber in order to take a breath anymore. And so now we're not only talking about excruciating pain in his wrists and his feet. Now we're starting to talk about asphyxiation. Now he can't breathe because he's hanging from this point right here. And he can't, he, he can't get his lungs to work anymore. The muscles begin to give out in his chest where he can take breaths in, but he can't get them out anymore. Then at some point, after all of this goes on, he feels now a deeper pain inside. So now all of a sudden, inside of his chest cavity, what begins to happen is it begins to fill with fluid. He's already sweated blood. He's already been beaten. He's already had to carry this cross. He's already been whipped and flogged. And all of these things begin to happen. And so his chest cavity begins to fill with serum from his body and his blood begins to thicken and it begins to coagulate, which means it's, and his heart is having a harder and harder time pumping. And with that fluid filling up his cavity, his heart begins to compress and his heart is having a harder and harder time. Now there's no room for his heart to be able to pump. So Jesus can barely use his lungs and now his heart can't pump the thick sludge of blood that's in his body left. So Jesus, in his last moments, he gathers enough strength and enough grit to lift up one more time. He takes one last deep breath and he says, it is finished. And then he dies. And a little while later, a Roman soldier takes his spear and it stabs him in the side and it says that blood blood and water flowed, which was evidence that he had been dead. And why did they do that? Because he died so fast. It usually took a day for someone to die on a cross like that, but Jesus had gone through so much that his heart gave out. He didn't even die the way that he was supposed to on that cross. If a person loses 40% of their blood, they go into shock and die. And to be honest, with everything that Jesus went through, it's a miracle that he lived as long as he did. That's everything Jesus went through in the last 24 hours of his life. All that just for a chance to win a prize. No guarantees that he's going to win it. Just the opportunity to win his prize. And you came here for a chance to win a prize. 
Jesus came here to earth for a chance to win his prize. And his prize was you. His prize was me. You see, Jesus wanted us to be with him so bad that he came and he lived a perfect life. He suffered a brutal, agonizing torture and then died a horrible, unjust death for you. For just a chance that you would choose him. Now, we've all messed up. We've all done wrong things, unlike Jesus. And what the Bible calls those wrong things we've done, the Bible calls those things sin. And sin separates us from God. And we can't do anything about our own sins. We can't do good things. We can't do nice things. We can't make up for the bad things. This isn't a karma situation. And even if it was a karma situation where if I do something bad, I better do something good, you're never going to be able to match them. You're never going to be able to balance out the bad for the good. You're never going to be able to do it. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus paid the payment of death for you so that he could offer you the free gift of eternal life in heaven. Isaiah 53 says this, Yet it was our weakness he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. If you want to know if the Bible is true or if it's legit, this, this verse was actually written 500 years before Jesus came. Now, all that he endured, all of that, so that he could be able to offer you the gift with the chance just the chance that you would accept it. Now, why am I telling you this? Why did I tell you everything that Jesus went through? Was it to guilt you into making you feel bad enough that, oh, Jesus went through all that? Well, man, I'm a monster if I don't accept him because of after all of those things. No, 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 that's not why I'm saying that. I'm not trying to say he did all that to, for you so that you better, you better take that gift after what all of those things he did. How dare you? I'm not saying that. I just wanted you to know what he went through so that you would know how much he loves you. I want you to know how worth it you are in this room. I asked early, would it be, earlier, would it be worth it for a chance to win a prize tonight if I made it a little bit harder and it wasn't long for each and every one of us to go? No, it wouldn't have been worth it. But Jesus looked down and he saw you and he said, it's worth it. They're worth it. You are worth it. It's worth going through the worst things imaginable. It's worth suffering just for a chance, a chance, just a chance that they might hear what I did and choose me and choose life. It's always gonna be your choice. He's never gonna take the choice out of your hands. It's what he wants, is he wants you to be, have the choice in your hands to choose Jesus or not, and to choose him. Because if you don't choose, if you don't have the choice, then it doesn't, it's not love. And he wants to know that he loves you enough to give you the choice. Even though he went through the worst things imaginable, even though he went all those things, he did it only to give you the choice that you would choose him. 
John 1.12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus gave you the right, the choice, the ability, the option to become a child of God. And I don't, I don't know if you realize that there's somebody who loves you so much that they look at you and go, he's worth it. I wonder if an angel in heaven before Jesus came down to earth was gonna say, this is gonna hurt like you've never experienced before. And he goes, they're worth it. But, but Jesus, you're gonna get beaten by countless people. He's gonna say, it's worth it. But Jesus, you're gonna get flogged. You're gonna get the, the flesh ripped from your back and beaten within an inch of your life. And Jesus looks at you and he says, no, it's worth it. But, but Jesus, they're gonna, they're gonna nail through your wrists and your feet onto a cross and they're gonna hang you on that cross and you're going to experience pain like you've ne never experienced before. Jesus, are you sure? And Jesus looks and he says that you are worth it. And all he wants is to give you the choice to choose him. He just wants the chance to let you know that he loves you. He just wants the chance to, right here in this moment. This is why he did it, so that there was a chance that you had the option to choose him. Like you, everyone in this room, to just close your eyes for a second and lower your heads and let's just give everyone around you just a little bit of privacy. And I want you to just picture that verse in Romans 6.23, it said, but the free gift from God is eternal life. And what we're talking about there is we're talking about heaven. God doesn't want to see you suffer. He wants to spend eternity with you in heaven. All he wants to do is be with you. He wants to be with you in heaven and he wants to be with you in every day and every moment of your life because he loves you and he's offering you life. And he's holding it out in hands to you. And he's given you the choice. He's already done it. He's already gone through it all. He's already died on a cross. He did everything for you. And he's holding out this gift to you. And he's not pressuring you. He's just looking in your eyes and he's smiling. Because he's so excited that he has this chance to offer you this free gift. And he wants to know, will you take it? Will you accept the free gift that Jesus is offering? Because Jesus died on that cross for you to pay for those sins that you can't fix. He died on that cross to be, allow you to be able to spend eternity with him in heaven. He died on that cross so that you wouldn't have to feel alone or unworthy, to feel scared, to feel sad, to feel any of those things. He, did all, he died on that cross so that he could be with you and help you through this life and the next. But he wants you to choose him. So with every eyes closed and every head lowered,
want you, I'm going to ask you a question. Will you choose Jesus? Will you accept the gift of eternal life, of salvation that Jesus has for you? And if that's you, just slowly and quietly raise your hand. Let's raise our hands in declaration that I accept the gift. I choose Jesus. privacy of everyone, I'm going to say a little prayer and I want everyone in the room to say it. But those of you who raised your hand, really say that with your entire heart. We're going to say, Dear Jesus. Everybody in the room is going to just repeat it. We say, Dear Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I accept the gift of eternal life. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for going through what you did for me. Thank you for paying for my sins on that cross. Thank you for breaking your body so that my body could be whole. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you made that decision, that's the biggest decision of your life. That's the biggest choice of your life. And what we're gonna do next is we're gonna go into a time of worship. And if this is your first time here and, and you've never done that before, but you've made that decision, this is a part of this relationship with Jesus that we just started tonight. It's about being one-on-one -on -one with God. It's not about talking to friends. It's not about doing anything else. What it is, it's just singing songs to Him. And if you've been here before, then that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna celebrate what Jesus did for us on that cross. Now, the beauty of Jesus's story is that yes, he died on that cross, but what we celebrate this Sunday is that he didn't stay dead, that he rose again from the dead. This is the miracle of Jesus, that yes, he died on the cross to pay for our sins, but three days later, he rose again. And that's what he wants to do for you. He wants to resurrect your life. The things that you thought were dead, the things that you thought were gone, the things that you thought just weren't gonna happen, he wants to resurrect those things in your life where you thought there could be no peace because peace is dead, where you thought joy could, was dead. He wants to resurrect those things back into your life because that's what Jesus does. He brings the dead things back to life. And this first song is all about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, as well as celebrating the things that Jesus wants to resurrect in our own lives. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna stand up and we're gonna come forward and we're gonna sing this song and praising our Father for not just being the, God, the man who died, but the man who resurrected.
And for a lot of you, this is just the beginning of your walk with Jesus. And we want to encourage you to come back. Keep finding out more. Keep discovering more about who Jesus is and what he does for you and how he can help you and save you in so many more ways. We want you to keep coming back. And we want this to be a place where you can continue to grow in your faith with Jesus. And so let's all just bow our heads and close our eyes and talk to him one last time tonight. God, thank you. Thank you for all of the things that you've done. Thank you for what this week represents. Thank you for being willing to go through all of that horrible stuff for people so undeserving and so unworthy, God. We're so appreciative and we're so thankful. And I just pray that every single student that walked into this room tonight will leave knowing that they have a father who loves them and has so much more in store for them, God. We love you so much and it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.